What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. On today's show, college football preview. Let's get into it. This is the Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player. Special thanks to Wise Money Sports online, wisemoneysports.com. Professional portfolio almost every day of the week. A couple days in there that they're passing on games. But what it is, it's a collective portfolio put together by professionals for you, the better. Online, wisemoneysports.com. On Twitter, at wisemoneysports. All right, so uh, like we do every Wednesday, I'm going to uh, play back a portion of College Football Weekly, a show that I am on, hosted by Will Chambers, and we go through this weekend's slate of college football games. So let's waste no more time. Get right into it. All right, first up, Virginia, Miami. Virginia goes on the road to Miami. Good game. Yeah, this should be a really good game. Uh, Right now, Miami's a one-point favorite. So Miami's two and three, and it's been really disappointing for them. Uh, they only have wins right now against Bethune Cookman in Central Michigan. Yeah, you're a big Bethune Cookman <laughs> guy, or Bethune Cookman. I can't even say it because no one cares about him. And then they lose. They've got losses to Florida that week zero game where neither team looked good. They lost at North Carolina, and then this last Saturday they lose to Virginia Tech at home, a really bad Virginia Tech team too. And you, then you look at like Jaron Williams is questionable to return. Nikosi Perry. Will probably be starting a quarterback. He filled in last week, and he didn't look too great. And then you look at Virginia on the other side, and they've got wins at Pittsburgh, a solid win. They beat Florida State at home. I just think that they're, you know, and then they have the loss to Notre Dame, which was by, I think, 15 points total. But still, their resume is a lot stronger when you compare Virginia to Miami. And Virginia's defense, they're only giving up 21 points per game. Miami's offense, they've struggled to score against Florida, North Carolina, and they even struggled against Central Michigan. So how are they going to be able to score against Virginia? I just think that also Virginia has such a coaching advantage with Bronco Mendenhall over Manny Diaz. I'd pick Mendenhall in that uh, day, in that game any day. What's interesting, though, that I was looking at is that Football Outsiders still has Miami rated higher than Virginia with their rating system. Really? Yeah, and they're rating, they take into account things like efficiency, explosiveness, field position, strength of schedule, all that. But all that being said, I, I just can't, I can't trust Miami here. I don't know why you would trust Miami when you've seen what they've done all year. And so I think Virginia is the better team. I almost kind of feel like they're a little underrated. And for them to be getting a point here against Miami on the road, I think I'm leaning Virginia. Yeah, I think that last week, you see the offensive line struggles that Virginia clearly had against Notre Dame. That was more of a one-off than what we can expect from them this season. Notre Dame's a very good team. They can exploit the best of offensive lines. And thankfully for Virginia, Miami has little to no pass rush. I know that defense has created turnovers, and that gets more attention because of the turnover chain, which... You know, that's debatable how much that actually does for that team. I think it it's doesn't an, do anything. <laughs> I think that it doesn't do anything in terms of it doesn't create more turnovers, but I think that it's a real thing in terms of getting them fired up. I mean, these are teenage kids. When they finally get that turnover, you see the life on the sideline. It's like incentive, incentivizing. A little bit, yes, for these kids, but I don't think that's near enough to overcome how good Virginia is. And I do think there's a bit of an overreaction last week. The narrative going into that game, Virginia, Notre Dame, look, let's see how, the, how good the Cavaliers really are. This is their first real test of the season. And 
you know, you could do this for every game, but you take away that fumble for, for, for a touchdown right. that changed everything. I Very think true. Virginia's a lot better than the final score indicated last year. You take into account Miami's not going to pressure Bryce Perkins. I think Virginia looks good on the road, plus their last four road games in Miami, Virginia's 4-0 against the spread. And that's a very important stat because, folks, you go back and look at Virginia on the road, and this has not been a good Virginia team. I always talk about, let's not look at trends if it's not applicable for this year's team. And I think you talk about Bronco Mendenhall, Bryce Perkins. Uh, this is a different Virginia team. So you look at the fact that they're 5-29, and 29, straight up, not against the spread, 5-29, and 29, their last 34 on the road. This is not a good road team. But even in that window, with the old team that was far behind this Virginia team, even with those stats and with that bad road record, they were 4-0 against, against the spread on the road in Miami last four games. They play well in Miami with a far inferior team. How do you think they're going to do with, in my opinion, a comparable, if not slightly better team? Give me Virginia. Uh, I think they cover the spread here. Yeah, and so it's interesting because you bring up those, and I think you know you and I maybe look at things differently sometimes. I put a lot into into past trends, and so obviously those numbers you give out about Virginia on the road against spread, but you also have to look at that through the lens of Virginia was a really bad team, and now they're finally kind of getting it together under Bronco Mendenhall, right? But but here's the thing is. If Michigan, well, and Michigan's a bad example because Michigan has that high standard of, of quality. If CU, the University of Colorado Buffaloes, right? If they hire Urban Meyer tomorrow and they sign a five-star quarterback to come in or maybe get a, a Juco transfer that's similar to, to Justin Fields. I know this would never happen, but in this example, CU next year, you would not use the last couple of years' stats. Right. Right. So because it's a totally was, different team. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's just coaching quarterback. And I think Bronco Mendenhall, Bryce Perkins warrants enough change to where you look back at the last few years and go, I'm throwing a lot of that out the window. For sure. And just their results in the field this year. I mean, they have looked really tough. And you're right, that Notre Dame loss. Like that actually almost that they came away from that. No one was thinking, wow, Virginia's not as good as we thought they were. Right. I think that everyone just kind of agrees that Notre Dame's a great team and so we're both on the same page here. I really like Virginia. Miami, though, I think their stats can be applicable year after year. Miami's two and seven against the spread. Their last nine against ACC opponents. Yeah. So they've underperformed in conference. They're struggling. Yeah, and Manny it, Diaz might be on that ass as a fire list. That's, not, that's not true. Not too long. Yep. So, all right. Very next true. up, the Red River rivalry. A game I am traveling to. I had hey, to, I had to Dallas on Friday. I'm so excited. So you know, there's a lot of rivalry games, a lot of big stadiums that are kind of on my bucket list, and I've been to a Michigan-Ohio State game. Uh, now I'm going to the Red River rivalry. Past that, like I'm trying to think of the best rivalry games that will still be on my list. Like Iron the Bowl. Iron Bowl for sure. The Army-Navy game is one I'd like to see one day. Uh, but this is just another big one that I'm really excited to go to and check it out. So I didn't know this until recently, but the Cotton Bowl where they play this game in Dallas is dead center of the uh, Texas fairgrounds where they – and it's always it always – takes place during the texas state fair so it's okay. wild there's going to be like deep okay. fried everything all, all good <laughs> food you know people are going to be drinking having a good time i'm really excited to go to this one so i will be there that'll uh, be fun man yeah o oklahoma 10 point favorites right now versus texas so neutral site in dallas uh 75 and a half over under that's Woo! big that's really big ha before we like are you gonna bet that at all will you no, even no, touch no, no. a number staying, like that well if I, think there's if I think there's value, right. look, 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 if you think there's going to be, if you're projecting, you know, there's going to be 70 points scored, you take the under. If, you right. if you're projecting there's going to be 80 points scored, you take the over. So, you know, I get asked that a lot with those big lines, but it's still down to projections. Right. So. Okay. That makes sense. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, I think that it's high for good reason. You've got Oklahoma's offense is nuts. Jalen Hurts has been incredible. Lincoln Riley just continues to to Lincoln prove everybody Riley. wrong. Because I even before this year, I I definitely knew that Oklahoma would have success with Jalen Hurts. I didn't think that Lincoln Riley could get him to throw like this. Well, I mean, he's looked incredible. He he's he's firmly. I think he's in that like top three group for Heisman stuff right now. Jalen Hurts is. But the question is, and I'm not trying to be negative Jalen Hurts. Right now, if I make Heisman odds, he's top three. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. To me, if you can throw a football and go to Oklahoma, that dude, Lincoln Riley, is going to turn you into a really for good sure. quarterback. Yeah. So He's going to make you millions. He should get but, a cut off all their rookie deals. But... Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are now starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So, right. and, and and the verdict is still out, folks. I know the Browns aren't great this year. I don't want to hear it's because Baker Mayfield's a bad quarterback. In my opinion, the verdict is still out on Mayfield. The verdict is certainly still out on Kyler Murray. And right. so, so, it's it's just an interesting question. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the Lincoln right. chicken or the quarterback egg? You know, <laughs> well, all the well, if you had to guess, what would you say it is? I would, if I had to guess, I would probably say it's leaning towards. These quarterbacks are really good because it is Oklahoma, and Lincoln Riley probably is good enough to take him over the top. But I don't know. What would you dude, say? I'm starting to give Lincoln th- Riley the credit. I, I think that if you're gonna like split it, you know, let's start at 50-50. If it's the quarterback versus Lincoln, I think that you, I think I'd skew it a little bit more towards Lincoln. I really think this guy could take anybody and turn them into like a Heisman front runner. If 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 his system is just incredible. If Jalen Hurts struggles in the NFL or gets drafted late, I think that's certainly the case that it is Lincoln. Yeah. Very well could be. I mean, look, they're they're the number two scoring offense in the country right now. Oh, they're not number one? Never mind. No, they're not number one. Nah. <laughs> exactly. You're right. Lincoln sucks. Uh, yeah, but yeah, hot seat. the real story is they're improved defense. So right now they're ranked 25th in scoring defense. You know, traditionally the last, I don't know, the last like six years, I feel like with Oklahoma, they've always had a, a really strong offense which is, and a terrible defense. Which is weird because Bob Stoops is a defensive guy. He started that way, yeah. But I think the Big 12 kind of, you know, changes that, but changed him for the. But he's still a defensive guy. He was he was Cody yeah. defensive coordinators last couple of years. But th- that being said, they haven't really played it. Uh, Oklahoma really hasn't played anyone super great. This will be their first, their defense's first real test. When you look at the Texas offense, is great. I love Sam Ellinger. I'm a big fan of Tom Herman. I think that their offense is great. I think they're gonna both score points here. You know, I don't have a bet for the over under, but I do think both teams will score points. But what's really concerning for me is Texas is without their leading. Uh, tackler on defense, Cade Stearns, Ooh. and about 50 other defensive players. When you look at their injury report, it's, the list is like five pages long. That's a terrible sign when you consider Texas is already giving up 325 passing yards per game right now. The last time they saw an elite offense, uh, the last time we saw an elite offense play the Longhorns, Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers threw for four touchdowns and put up 500, and he almost put up 500 yards. Right. And the bad news, Oklahoma's offense might be even better than LSU's. But, but my question is... And I didn't watch a ton of that LSU, Oklahoma or uh, Texas game. Uh-huh. How much was Texas trying to stop the LSU run? Because no, I think that what people do that that wasn't it. No, I mean it, it was it was clear that but, Joe Burrow was just picking them apart, and, and there was but, nothing they could do to stop it. But, uh, was it any? Was there any? They were worried about LSU's running game because I think LSU. If you if you're if you're gonna rank right now, how scared you are of running games? LSU has to be top fifteen in the, in the nation, while Oklahoma has to be like maybe like. 20 to 30. I don't know. I think that LSU has transitioned into so, a passing so, offense. So that's fine. So, so the answer Maybe is... Maybe you could say that if that was like the first half and so then the they answer came is no. out. So yeah, the answer no. was, it was Joe Burrow. Yeah. If that's the case, that changes honestly a lot of my handicap for this game. Yeah, it, I mean, d- it does because again, I'm not... 
I'm not as tuned. You're, you're a college football expert. You watch like every game, every weekend. Nola, I didn't catch a lot of that game. So my thinking was, look, I think Texas is a great team. This is a rivalry game. How, 10 points, do we not learn? It seems like every year there's one or two rivalry games where the narrative is, well, this team is so good. How can they? And then we walk away from the game going, well, it was a rivalry game. It's like, I want to start doing that before the game starts. Right. You know? And so... I look at this spread, I'm like, 10.5 points? How can you not lean towards Texas here? And I honestly think the average person's saying the opposite. I think the average fan looks and goes, Oklahoma is so much better, how could you not take OU? Yeah. I look at it and say, Sam Ellinger is really good. I look at penalty yards. Oklahoma, one of the most penalized teams in the country, averaging just over 100 penalty yards a game. Yeah. Meanwhile, Texas one of the best. I think certain things there start to weigh in Texas's favor, but the fact that you just said that Joe Burrow and LSU picked Texas apart, I know how susceptible... Oh, Texas can be on defense to the pass. Yeah. Given that, really you figure that OU may open things up and score a ton of points here. Right. What, what about the other side? I mean, if Texas can, can keep up. Well, that's what I'm uh, I think that what you just gave is a perfect example of, you know, how you can talk yourself into either either way with this game because I feel like everything, all the stats and all of the when you look at the X's and O's and the, the injury stuff, you're saying, wow, Oklahoma could really blow them out. But then you look at the other side of things, that, that it is a rivalry game. And this game has been close more often than not. Oh, you're, so, you're damn straight at So us. the last time they faced off was in the Big 12 championship game last year. And that was a 12-point win for Oklahoma. But the previous five regular season matchups before that were decided by one score or less. All the data and the injuries and OU's defense tell me that the Sooners are going to blow them out. But like my gut is still telling me Texas is going to keep this close because, like you said, it rivalry games are tricky. We know about Tom Herman as an underdog. He's really good against the spread good as point. an underdog. One of the best. I, honestly, I think you know when it comes down to stats versus gut, a lot of times I go with my gut. and I'm, I think I'm taking Texas here. And if you're going to take Texas to cover, I kind of feel like you could make an argument there for taking the over because if Texas is going to cover by 10 points... That means, in my opinion, I think they're going to have to score at least 35 because Oklahoma's going to score. Oklahoma's, There's no way Texas is shutting down Oklahoma's offense. And at that point, then you're looking at maybe a 45-35 game, 45-37, and then you're looking at covering. And it's not out of the ordinary. The last five times these teams have played, they've combined for 68.5 points. Yeah. So it's not like when they meet each other, they're averse to scoring, to scoring points. And the other thing, Will, is I think that we tend to forget – Again, this happens in rivalry games. It's like how quickly you forget. The last seven times these teams have played, Texas is 6-1 and one against the spread. Yeah. In the last seven years, Oklahoma has been a far superior team. Only the last couple of years has Texas kind of, Texas is back, right? right? So this goes back seven games, which is probably four or five seasons or so, it, given Big 12 championship so games. They only played the Big 12 championship game uh, last year. That's so it goes back six played. years. Yeah, exactly. If this goes back six years... Texas is 6-1 and one against the spread. Right. That, to me, says that everyone falls into the same trap. Oklahoma's really yeah. good. They don't cover that big spread. And I'm I feel like you can kind of throw out that Big 12 championship game a, a little bit just because when you play a team twice in one year, which is something that college teams are not used to, you see a lot of things differently. All of a sudden, now there's no secrets. They kind of know what the game plan is going to be. That's why we saw kind of a lower-scoring game in the Big 12 championship game last year. Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, <laughs> secrets hurt, hurt someone. someone. Yes, well, Truer words that. have never been spoken. <laughs> uh, n next game up, Nebraska at Minnesota. Don't even get me going on this game. Well, <laughs> Minnesota routes them. How, how's that? That's my handicap. I already told you. Okay, it's too frosty to row the boat. So Minnesota's a seven-point favorite home right now. The Golden Gophers are 5-0 and for the first time in 15 years. And everyone in Minnesota is rowing the boat. The only problem, they haven't played anybody. Here's their five wins so far. South Dakota State, 
Fresno State, Georgia Southern, Purdue, and Illinois. <laughs> All hey. of those, save for Illinois, were, were won by one score or less. And the Gophers needed every last second and a little luck to beat Fresno and Georgia Southern. Meanwhile, in Lincoln, the Huskers' only impressive win may be against Northwestern last week, but at least they're battle-tested. So right now, Football Outsiders has Minnesota's strength of schedule ranked 123rd nationally out of 130 teams. And then you compare that to Nebraska, who in their strength of schedule is 42nd. They lost in a shootout on the road to Colorado. Uh, they got the doors blown off them by Ohio State, obviously. But I just still like that their players have seen more adversity and better competition. You know, I, I, I just think that they're battle-tested. And then not to mention that the Huskers are they're, they're eager to see some improvement on offense after they've they scored just 20 combined points in the last two games. And they definitely will have an opportunity here against a Minnesota defense that's in the bottom half of college football and points against. That being said, Adrian Martinez, uh, the quarterback for Nebraska, and their best wide receiver, J- J.D. Spielman, are both currently questionable with knee injuries. I, I think they're both likely to play, but you're going to have to pay attention to announcements on this one because if they are playing, I really like Nebraska, and if not, I'm not going to touch it. But you're probably going to have to wait to make your bet until later in the week or maybe even close to kickoff. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to lean Nebraska here. I, seven and a half is ridiculous, though. I think that's way too many points, to be honest. I mean, Nebraska, if you look at how they match up in this game, they've dominated this 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 series. Now, the last eight times they played, Nebraska's only 5-3, five 5-3 and three, five and three against the spread as well. But you start looking at how many points they've run for, passed for, what their defense has done, turnovers, penalties. Nebraska has dominated this series and since they're getting seven and the hook, that seems disrespectful to Scott Frost, Nebraska, who will be playing with a little bit of motivation. You wonder what Minnesota's motivation is. They're an undefeated team right now, vastly outperforming expectations. This just, it, this is not a game I, I like to bet on, right? I mean, again, if I had to lean somewhere, I'd probably go Nebraska because everyone is going to look at this game and think that Minnesota's 5-0, and Nebraska underperforming this year, but I think you have to lean with the Cornhuskers, Yeah, I agree. And I think that Scott Frost will have, you know, if if Adrian Martinez isn't playing, I still think that he's going to have his backup quarterbacks ready. Uh, it seems like just a system. We saw it at UCF. It was a a really a good system for quarterbacks. And when one would get hurt, the next guy would come in and they'd still, you know, uh, put up a lot of points. I just think that, you know, with 7.5, especially if, if Martinez, if, if we find out he's playing and J.D. Spielman is playing, I love the Huskers in this one. All right. Next game up, Michigan State at Wisconsin. 10-point favorites for Wisconsin at home right here. So we just saw Michigan State get torched on the ground by Ohio State. And if there's one thing I expect from Mark D'Antonio's defense is that they won't have a repeat performance like that. This defense is definitely better suited against a more traditional offense like Wisconsin's too, as opposed to the spread offense and the more modern stuff we see from Ohio State. So we saw this Wisconsin offense really struggle to move the ball against Northwestern a couple weeks ago. And the Spartan coaching staff will certainly use what the Wildcats did as a blueprint for stopping Jonathan Taylor. And uh, if you're a Wisconsin here, I also think I kind of feel like you'd rather have Michigan State coming off a close loss or a win against Ohio State. But now you've got a pissed off Sparty coming to town trying to salvage their season. Because I tell you what, if they lose this one, if Michigan State loses this one, their chances of winning the Big Ten East are completely over. I just last week I saw I watched a little college game day. Don't get to do that every Saturday with my schedule, but I saw a special, and it was highlighting uh, Michigan State and their game last week. Okay, man, these guys were pumped up. 
they were ready. They had a point to prove against Ohio State. They were building that up to the game of the season. They hate being underdogs. Again, when ESPN does a special, you have to think what that means in the locker room, right? Oh, extra cameras. They're doing a special on it. And then they lose and don't even cover the spread. I think this could be a letdown situation for Michigan State, and I really don't know if Michigan State has as good of a defense as everyone is touting them to have. I think Wisconsin's offense overwhelms Michigan, and really, Will, this spread to me says any typical year. If you take a typical Wisconsin team against a typical Michigan State team, this would be a good line, and I would probably take Michigan State. This year's different for Washington, for uh, uh, Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin, as we talked about earlier, much different offense. I think that's really the real difference is when they need to throw the ball on third down. I know we didn't see it against Northwestern, but I thought that was a great spot for Northwestern that game. I think that when Washington, or excuse me, I, can't, I don't know why I keep saying Washington, when Wisconsin is backed into a corner and they need a pass play, I think they'll find that against Michigan State. And I actually lean Badgers here. I think the spread right now is 10. Is it 9? 10, yeah. That's that's questionable. If I get 9.5, this is a like for me. If it goes to 10.5, it's a no play for me. That's a very important number. But I think Wisconsin wins uh, by double digits, and I feel comfortable with minus 9.5 for Wisconsin. Interesting. Yeah, I just feel like the difference between a team like Wisconsin and Ohio State when you're talking about how their defense, how Michigan State's defense is going to match up, is that Ohio State is like a big they have these big chunk and these ex- explosive plays i talked about it last week is why i picked ohio state in that game to cover is that they have these big explosive plays where you know they can break off a touchdown that's 60 yards even when you know the defense kind of feels like they have them in a good spot wisconsin i think is totally different now their their offense is great this year it's 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 much better than it has been in the past but i still think they're a team that wants to grind it out these long drives you know sure they have a couple big plays against teams like Kent State or whatever and, and they definitely had some against Michigan I just think that that Michigan State will be able to to contain Wisconsin and keep it close enough I just don't see Wisconsin blowing them out like like we just saw Ohio State do that to uh to uh Michigan State so I don't know I you, you look at the the previous matchups in this year so the last year the Badgers beat Michigan State handily it was 30 to 6 but six of the previous seven before that were one score games and all of them, all of those previous seven were 10 points or less. But my whole point here with Wisconsin, and it's been my point the whole show, this is clearly a different Wisconsin team, and I think they're that much better, maybe in the conversation with the, with the playoff contenders. Also, I know they want to keep the ball on the ground, and I know that, that, that the initial reaction is to say Michigan State stops, team, stops teams who like to do what they do, physical on the ground, but Wisconsin is so much more elite running the football. Wisconsin now is better than they've ever been running it. They also have an added element throwing the football, and Jonathan Taylor is averaging 7.2 yards a rush this year, so it's not like he's 3.5, 3.5 down the field. When he touches it, he's explosive, so yeah. I think they have a chance to really run the score up here against Michigan State, and it's in Wisconsin. I, don't I know love that, that fact. That Northwestern game a couple weeks ago for Wisconsin really scared me because they were not able to move the ball. They only scored 10 offensive points. That game worries me because I think that, that that the Northwestern defense is very similar to the Michigan State defense schematically. You so, want to give me nine and a half? Yeah, let's do it. We'll let's put this on the bed board. Let's make it a little... I will take Michigan State plus nine action. and a half. Yep. Finally, we get one on the bed board. You and All I right. seem to be on the same page a lot, which... It's never Makes good. Feel good. We need to go back and comb through. I mean, I think there may be some bets, some impromptu bets that we don't definitely. Write down. And, so, and I know, like the, the like shows, like three and four, 
we we said we'll write it down and we never wrote it down. Yeah, so it's we'll easy have to forget. To, I've been meaning to go back. So after this week, I was going to go back and, and actually I was going to go and tally our our I wish, likes I wish you and our had record like, halfway through the I season. I wish you had like six hours of a plane ride coming up to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'll work on no, it. Don't worry. Go. Next week's show, I'll get a recap of our of my all my picks and all of your likes and your leans and all that stuff and Boom. then we'll, we'll we'll get it going. We'll we'll double team that one cuz I don't trust you. I think you're going to get skeevy <laughs> with it. It's crazy. <laughs> I looked back and Tyler, you were wrong every time. What about, what's wrong with that? Uh, all right, next up. Florida, Florida at LSU. So we talked Yeah, I gave this one of my 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 headlines. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You did. Yeah, we talked a lot about this game. So LSU 13 point favorite right now at home. Night games at LSU. They call it Death Valley where dreams go to die. Uh, Florida, you got to give them credit. They beat a tough Auburn team last week, but that was at home, and that was against a true freshman quarterback. This is just not the same deal when you're talking about LSU and Joe Burrow, who through five games, LSU has the number one scoring offense in the nation, which is insane when you consider their recent history. Yeah. They've never been an offensive juggernaut. Number one scoring offense in the nation. They're scoring 51, or excuse me, 54 points per game. And I said it last week and was wrong, but this week I'm doubling down. I think Florida is a fraud. I think they're the worst undefeated Power 5 team. I don't think they're a top 10 team, and this is the week they get exposed. I said it last week and I was wrong. Doubling down, this is the week Florida gets exposed. It's LSU's first night game of the year. The crowd at Tiger Stadium is nuts. That's on the very top of my stadium bucket list, by the way, to see a night game in LSU. It's a wild game environment, and I think it's exactly the environment where the Tigers will shine. I like LSU by 17 or more here, so I like LSU uh, minus 13 points here. I'm really impressed with Ed Orgeron this year. Um, I'm willing to admit it. I was off with Ed Orgeron, and I kind of had the same idea with Clay Helton and Ed Orgeron, right? I thought these guys don't fit what this program's trying to go for. Ed Orgeron has completely proven me wrong. I mean, they're not just winning. They're doing it the right way. To where you're confident putting some money in a team, laying points in a game like this. In Florida, I understand... They've beaten who they've been who they've been asked to beat, and they have had a very difficult schedule so far. But I think you combine Joe Burrow, the capabilities of this offense, as you mentioned, Will Death Valley at night's a tough place to play, and I see a bit of a letdown this week. Florida put a lot into last week's game in the swamp. It was a must-win game. Look, LSU had a pseudo bye week last week, playing Utah State. They won, I think, 42-6. Started or uh, sat their starters third quarter they're healthy they're ready to go they've been looking to this game i really think lsu's in a great not only x's nose spot coaching spot but situational spot as well i like the tigers yeah me too well, i like the yeah tigers here yeah and i think it's look i mean you were you're definitely right because i think a lot of people were doubting at Ordron, but i think it's kind of less about like what he does as a coach and honestly i think it's more about this addition of joe brady as the passing game coordinator because just even last year, this LSU offense was still what we were used to seeing under Les Miles. It was I-form. We're going to run the ball. We're not going to pass the ball a lot. And then you bring in this Joe Brady guy who I don't think will be there long. I don't think that they'll be able to keep him. There's going to be teams offering him offensive coordinator Wasn't positions. Wasn't he the one from the, from the Saints? Saints? Yeah, from the New Orleans Saints. So he didn't have to go far. He moved from New Orleans just to uh, Baton Rouge, which I think is less than an hour. And so I think that teams are going to come calling for that guy and offer him big time jobs yeah and so i think it's less about coach owen i think it, it, it's i mean it's still a testament to him to be willing to bring in a new guy to help you know take over the offense but also the another thing to look at lsu four and one against the spread this year they've done really well and that one loss wasn't by much so uh that one excuse me one time they didn't cover it was still close so i like lsu here i think they they have a really good chance of just blowing florida out of yeah, the water i agree i think so too okay next up stay in the sec Alabama minus 17 and a half 
at Texas A&M. Look, if I could bet this spread through three quarters, I'd take Alabama all day. But this is just a tricky line because I see this game being right around 42 to 20 towards the end of the game. But I'm so hesitant to pick Alabama because we've seen them give up late scores to ruin the cover when their second and third string players come in. We've also seen A&M fail to score in the first three quarters against good teams only to score some garbage time touchdowns and get into that backdoor cover range. They did that against Clemson and got the backdoor cover. They came close against Auburn a couple weeks ago where they scored, I think, 14 points in the fourth quarter. So I'm definitely not willing to pick A&M here because I just don't trust them. But the question becomes, do you have faith that Alabama can score enough to be ahead by 25 or more so that when they inevitably let in that late game touchdown, which it seems like they have a trend of doing, it doesn't ruin the cover for the Tide. So I think I'm probably staying away. The one thing I would look at is the first half spread, which would be probably right around nine, nine and a half for Alabama. I'd be very interested in taking that. But as far as the normal 17 and a half game or 17 and a half point spread, I'm probably staying away uh, from Alabama here. Yeah, uh, look, I I have a few rules in sports that I rarely, rarely, rarely bet against Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. I bet against Bill Belichick once earlier this year, Buffalo Bills. Plus seven and a half. Besides that, it has to be a really unique situation. I'm not about to do it here. Now, if I had to lean, I would lean AM. I think really? they have the roster. Yeah, I think they have the roster to frustrate Alabama. I think they absolutely have the secondary to get in the head of of uh, to a tongue of Iola, tongue of Iola. And if Jimbo Fisher creates some defensive plan to where they can confuse this offense and muddy this game up, look, they're nine and two against the spread. Their last eleven at home, they know how to win. The 11th man, I mean, it's going to be electric there, but I'm not... (laughs) Thank you. The 11th 11th man is playing on the field. (laughs) The 12th man. But I'm not going to bet against Alabama. This is not one of those situations where you put your money against Nick Saban. So this is kind of a stay-away game for me. Yeah, Uh, I kind of feel the same way. It's hard to gauge also. Look, this this is real. When you look at even Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama... We don't even get to see how good these teams are. I've always I always use this rule. If you go up to these teams before, right, and you say, "All right, for every point you guys win by, everybody on the team gets a million dollars, and each point keeps going up." Then, how much would Alabama have won their games by? Right. right? So it could be eighty. Yeah. Exactly. But that's factoring in motivation, which you also have to factor in for this game. If Alabama is up, like Will said, 24, 27 points, does Nick Saban have motivation to keep the starters in? or not too many question marks when i bet on games i look for predictability the predictive value of 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 alabama is almost zero i'm not betting on this game yeah i mean the only thing that that is a little enticing is that you don't see these low point spreads for alabama games very often that's why i get 17 and a half it's kind of it kind of pulls you in you you say well they're they're blowing out everybody by basically 20 plus but you're right this is the first real test for their offense I think I think Texas A&M's defense is good I don't know about great but it's very good but I also then you look at the other side and you say can can Kellen Mond and the Texas A&M offense score against Alabama's defense because I don't think they they can for the first half for the first three quarters but but then we get into that that backdoor cover game again well that's the thing is if A&M covers this game I see the undercovering as well because they have to muddy it up and they're not going to do so by putting up points and making it a shootout they're going to do so by making things tough on Alabama's offense and really their their offense Alabama or A&M's offense will be kind of uh, you know a wash in this yeah. whole thing. So I think that's what it comes down to. Can they force Alabama into really in- uncomfortable situations 
when they have the football. That that's the whole handicap for me. Okay, fair enough. Next up, uh, Southern. This is our Cal. last game. Uh, no, we got two more coming up. Okay. Uh, Southern Cal on the road at Notre Dame. One of the oldest rivalries in college football. One of the best, especially when the two teams are doing great. Hasn't quite been the case these last few years. So this feel we you and I both talked about it. This very well feels like it could be Clay Helton's last game as head coach at USC. Yeah. USC's three and two. They've had an up and down team. Uh, they looked really good against Stanford and Utah, both home games, and they struggle against Washington and BYU, both on the road. They haven't won a road game yet. And I really don't think that this is the one where they get their first road game either. So Notre Dame is still <laughs> somehow underrated, I think. They lost on the road by just six points to a very good Georgia team in a very tough environment. And through five games, I think they've proven they're extremely talented and they're an extremely balanced team. They rank in the top 15 in both scoring offense and scoring defense. There's only a handful of teams that can say that this year. And what I like most from the Irish in this matchup is their passing defense. Notre Dame is allowing just 183 yards per game through the air and just 56% completion to opposing quarterbacks. And it's not like they are just doing that against the bad teams they're playing. Uh, Jake Fromm from Georgia, he had almost that exact same what their average is. He, he threw for 187 yards and just one touchdown. He really held him in check. And with Keaton Slovis, questionable uh, for uh, quarterback for USC, very well could be this Matt Fink guy, the third string guy. I think we see the Fighting Irish force turnovers and capitalize on the mistakes when they give the ball. And then they give the ball back to Ian Book in the Notre Dame offense. I love Ian Book. I think he's really good. I think that if Notre Dame can get an early score, an early lead, and force USC into obvious passing downs, it could really get out of hand in a hurry here. I like Notre Dame at home to cover the spread of 11 points. Yeah, I hate agreeing with you again here, but I think that's the case. And I believe that the Irish have incentive to keep running it up. It's a rivalry game. Look, I think that Brian Kelly... May and he, this is a real thing. I think Brian Kelly may kind of feel for Clay Helton, right? I mean, he's a coach. He understands how the coaching carousel works. He knows Clay. He knows Clay Helton's on the hot seat, but that doesn't matter for an eleven and a half point spread. That would matter for a twenty-four point spread, right? I think if Notre Dame's up thirty-one ten, then they may take their foot off the gas, and that may be a, a factor. Since this spread is so small, I, what, what do you have at right now? Eleven and a half. Eleven. Eleven. That, that, to me, that doesn't enter the realm of Brian Kelly making any decisions for any external factors. That's right. a small enough spread to where I think the Irish are that much better. They'll get margin, get margin early. I actually thought this line would open up closer to like 16 or 17. Now, I'm not a college football originator, so I don't make my own lines, which is why it's tricky for me to say that and then bet this game because I don't really know how off the market ever truly is. But I would have to say that the Irish are kind of undervalued in this game which means they're undervalued in the market 11 point spread with three points for home field implies the irish are about a touchdown and a point better about eight points better than usc look i understand that keaton slovis got the nod he will play this week i still don't think it's going to be enough i like yeah. notre dame to win i think they win big and flex their muscles because here when you get usc usc still represents a good school now at the end of the year, they may not even have enough wins to go to a bowl game. Who knows? But the fact that they can potentially have the chance to route USC still is something that this team... We talked about this earlier in the year, Will. I think it was Michigan playing someone, or I forget who it was. My example was if they're playing a, Alabama, or a rivalry, or they're playing Rutgers. Right. There's different incentive. And I think that because it's USC, because it's a rivalry game, they will dig in, and I think they'll uh, blow them out early. So I like Notre Dame here. So you like Notre Dame to win the jeweled shillelagh. 
The you, jeweled shillelagh for Brian Kelly. Are None you, of them. Look at the Irish. You're familiar with the jeweled shillelagh? Oh, the jeweled shillelagh will. <laughs> Your Irish accent is horrific. It's, it's so painful. Good. I mean, Look at the Irish. I think it's just a little too characteristic. When we invented the potato chip, I love when the, we uh, cut the potato too thin. I love the jeweled shillelagh. I think it's one of the most interesting and weird trophies that you can get for rivalry trophies. Um and did you know the jeweled shillelagh? I was just Googling this because I wanted to know what it's all about. It's a it's Irish club one. made of oak. And on the end of it, engraved the following from the Emerald Isle. Oh. And the real jeweled shillelagh is also on display, I think, in Los Angeles. Now they have like a mock one. They add, a, they add an extra jewel to it every year. If the Irish win, it's a shamrock jewel. If the Trojans win, it's like a Trojan helmet jewel. Oh, the jeweled shillelagh. <laughs> Terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible, Tyler. Uh, last but not least, Penn State at Iowa. Now, the line right now, Tyler, I might need you to update me on this because when I saw it last night, it was four and a half points in favor of Penn State. This game opened at three, just just Penn State by three. And I'm wondering if this line has moved even more since last night. It might be up to like five points by now. Let me check it for you. Um, so, buyer beware. This is a trap line. This line stinks. Iowa just put up three points in one rushing yard against Michigan. It is four. Four. Okay. Uh, I saw it as high as four and a half, but either way, it'll probably stay right around that four number. Uh, yeah. Iowa, one rushing yard against Michigan last week. And that, look, that's, that's a little bit suspect because it does account for, or it does not account for sack yards. Uh, Michigan had eight sacks for minus 65 yards. But even if you remove the sack yards, Iowa still just had 66 yards rushing against a Michigan defense that gave up 360 on the ground to Wisconsin. Uh, Iowa's defense was great, though. They gave up 10 points in the first quarter and then held Michigan scoreless in the last three. Uh, and ten point, giving up 10 points, that's right around Iowa's average this year of just eight points per game, which seems really impressive, right? They're just uh, giving up eight points per game. But almost none of these teams they've played have good offenses. They played Michigan, 74th in scoring. Miami, Ohio, 102nd in scoring. Rutgers, dead last in scoring. Uh, Middle Tennessee State, 105th. The only team that uh, even ranks in the top 25 of total scoring they played is Iowa State. And they Iowa did win that game, but Iowa State racked up 400 yards. Uh, they outgained Iowa, and, and ultimately Iowa State just kind of gave the game away with turnovers. So I think that the Iowa defense is a little bit overrated. I don't think it's quite as good as people are making it out to be. And then you see Penn State comes in red hot. They're scoring 47 points per game. That's good for fifth uh, best in the country. And they have the second-best scoring defense in the nation to boot. That's incredible, those stats. Penn State has won five straight against Iowa. So most people here would probably look at this game and expect Penn State to be a road favorite by more than a touchdown, right? And yet, the line open at three is now up to four. And the reason for that, I believe, is that this game is a night game at Kinnick Stadium. Probably one of the most underrated home field advantages in all of college football. No one really talks about it. It's not a big stadium, but their fans are loud. And more importantly, the front row of the stadium is maybe 15 feet from the playing field. Yeah. The fans are right on top of the away players. When, you, when you're when you watching the game, just look and tell me it wouldn't be uncomfortable. The benches that you're sitting on are directly, they're right below the front row fans, uh, right in front of the student section. So they can literally reach out and touch them if they want to. It's intimidating. And don't just take my word for it. Just look at some of the big upsets they've pulled off at home, Iowa has, in recent years. Two years ago, 2017, Iowa was 6-3 and three and unranked. And Ohio State came to Kinnick Stadium ranked 5th in the nation. Under the lights, the Hawkeyes kicked the shit out of the Buckeyes 55-24. to 24. That loss kept Ohio State out of the playoffs that year. The previous year, 2016, Iowa once again 
unranked, six and four. Undefeated Michigan comes to town, ranked number two in the in the country at night, and they beat Michigan 14-13 with a field goal on the last play. See a trend here? When Iowa is struggling and no one is giving them a shot and they get a top team at home at night, they give them a good game. They nearly did it to Penn State two years ago when the Nittany Lions scored a touchdown on the very last play of the game to win by just two points. So my brain is telling me Penn State's going to blow them out, but all the history in my gut is just telling me this is exactly the type of game where Iowa can pull out an upset. Kirk Ferentz will get another seven-year contract extension. Uh, I, I don't like the line either way, but I think I'm leaning Iowa here just because of all that. I'm, I'm leaning the other direction, and I don't want to make it too strong because I don't want to make this a bettable game. <laughs> I don't want to write this down on the games with bet, but I would lean Penn State. And here's the thing. You mentioned a lot about Penn State's offense. I think this defense is actually underrated. You look at the efficiency stats, the FPI stats. Penn State has a good defense. Very good So defense. I think that what we're getting here is two elite defenses. I believe that Iowa will play like an elite defense at home, night game, and I think Penn State truly is an elite defense. Throughout the course of 60 minutes, this is only a four-point spread. This is the smallest spread the last six years between these two teams. Wow. Now, keep in mind, Penn State in those years, 5-1 and one against Iowa, 3-3 three and three against the spread. Mm. Okay, so it's, it's, it's up in the air with the spread, but they have won against Iowa. And here's the thing. If, if you give Penn State and this new creative offense this year that everyone's talking about a few uh, uh, momentous occasions, a few things for them to build on, I think they can take that lead on the road. And I don't think the road matters for them anymore. And I think they start running the football, doing whatever they have to to win this game. I always talk about the flow of games. I think the, this game could be a slow pace game where both teams are running the football. Penn State's getting held up on offense, but they still pull away. And I could see, you know, where Penn State kind of airs it out. And it's more of an open game. Iowa still may try and chew clock, but it's open for Penn State. It doesn't matter to me what happens. I think Penn State still finds a way to cover the four points by the end of the game. Now, it's only a lean because of all the great reasons you brought up. I'm not about to fade a team at home. And look at the history. They get a good team in this exact situation, and it becomes a trap game. I don't like falling into the traps. My money would probably go to Penn State, but it's certainly a pass for me. Yeah, well, I think what's really interesting is that you, I mean, Penn State's averaging 47 points per game, and the over-under, the, the, the point total for this game is just Less 43 and a half. half. <laughs> so what that tells me is that they're predicting this to be a really kind of ugly, grinded-out game, kind of like you said, where Iowa wants to chew the clock, and then maybe they can force cool. a couple turnovers here and there. This is like Kinnick is just a place where you don't want to go at night when you're a top-ranked team. Like that's just upset city. Forty-three and a half. So let's say forty-four is the over/under, and the spread's four. So they're projecting that this game 24, to be 24-20. 24 20. Yeah. Exactly. That's a very low-scoring, very defensive game. But like we just said, both teams have good defenses. The question is, which offense can pull away? I give the slight nod to Penn State, even yeah. though they're on the road in a tough spot. This just feels like it. It would be so Iowa to just lose and score <laughs> three points on the road against Michigan, and then come home exactly, and, and take right? down Penn State. It right. would be so like Kirk Ferentz. So, yeah. all right, that's it. That's all I got. All right, there we go. Hope you enjoyed that and hope you have a nice week in college football. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Sharp Angle. This is The Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player.